Our scripture today comes from uh, Matthew 20, verses 1 to 16, and it can be found on page 1529 in your pew Bibles. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed them to pay denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go work in, in, in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last one hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first... When those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last only worked one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Amen. This passage can be a really hard one to hear, in large part because we can totally relate with the laborers here. I guarantee you that if I was one of those workers who had to work all day long, and I saw that I got the same power as someone, or same pay as someone who worked for an hour, I'd be a little bit annoyed. But one of the cool things about the Bible is it has stories and parables like this that don't really make sense at first glance. And that's because our own minds need to be changed in order to make it make sense. It'd be really boring to read the Bible if all we ever saw there was exactly what we wanted it to, say, to see, what we wanted to see. But hard stories like these ones are a call to adventure, to change our own mindset so that one day these stories actually make sense. And I think it helps if you remember that the only reason that the first laborers are angry with the owner is because of envy. How do we know? Imagine this parable where the owner never hired anyone else. He came up to the, these, these laborers in the morning and hired them for a fair wage of a denarius each. They worked a solid work day, then the owner paid them their denarius and they went home. It sounds like an incredibly boring story, right? No drama at all. And the reason for that is that the laborers would never have been mad if they simply minded their own business and got their solid pay for a solid day's work. The only reason they're mad is that other people got paid the same for less work. They say it pretty explicitly. These last ones only worked one hour, and you've made them equal to us, even though we had to deal with the whole heat of the day. So are the laborers right? Certainly, they felt like they were. And really think about it for a second. What right did the laborers have to any more money than was promised? 
They did the work and were paid a fair wage. In fact, as the story seems to depict, it was hard to find work. Lots of people went home without anything and weren't able to do any work at all. The ones that were hired at the final hour wouldn't have made a penny if they hadn't been hired. And surely there were lots of people who weren't hired. Would the first laborers prefer not to have had any work and gone home hungry? And anyway, as, as the owner uh, says, it's the owner's money. What right do the laborers have to tell them what to do with it? It certainly seems like the master was being unfair, but he really wasn't. What they're really mad about is that the fellow laborers were gifted with the joy of feeling like you got paid even more than you deserve. But that's what envy is at, at its core. It's being mad that other people are happy. And that's an ugly thing. Think about it for a second. Envy is saying you'd rather other people be sad if only it means that they're sadder than you. It's actively hating what's good and loving what's evil. It means loving pain and hating pleasure. It's the exact opposite of loving your neighbor. But envy is a powerful force in the human mind. It's a part of our nature. And there's a reason why Christians considered it the second worst of the seven deadly sins. In fact, it's had an incredible impact on human history. The second story in the whole Bible is about envy. The very first sins that humans commit after the fall is envy. In Genesis 4, Cain is envious that Abel's work gets him more of God's favor than his own. It's at that point that God says, sin is crouching at your door and you must master it. It was that envy that led Cain to murder Abel. Envy is a sneaky sin, always crouching at your door. Because just like in this story, it can feel like it's an innocent desire for justice and fairness, when really it's not that at all. Really, it's just anger that other people are happy, or at least happier than you. In the ancient world, all the way from France down to Ethiopia to China, really remarkably, people believed that envy had a supernatural quality. They called it the evil eye, which was the idea that if you were too successful, then people would be angry and glare at you. And when that happened, you'd be cursed somehow, and would be really unlucky and bad stuff would happen to you. People would sell amulets and charms that were meant to ward off the effects of the evil eye. In fact, the evil eye actually makes an appearance in this passage in the original language. Most of our translations don't translate it that way because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. But in verse 15, the master says upon in Greek, which means literally, is your eye evil because I'm good? In other words, are you envious and causing me misfortune just because I'm generous? With envy playing such a large role in human society, for thousands of years, people all around the world were afraid to be too successful because it would make everyone around them envious. And if they were envious, there was going to be trouble, either because they would receive violence or some kind of supernatural force. There would be sayings like, the tallest blade of grass is the one that gets cut down. The reason that wealthy people built really nice courtyards for themselves in the middle of their houses is because it kept their wealth from other people's view. If other people saw their courtyards, they might get envious and that would cause trouble. Better to hide it within your house. In practically every historical society, nobody liked merchants, like people who traveled around selling goods from other countries. And that was because they could make a lot of money and people weren't always sure how they did it. Since most social hierarchies were fixed, basically, if you were born a peasant, you would die a peasant, and if you were born rich, you would die rich. But merchants were some of the only ones who could have the capability from being poor, from, to go from being poor to being rich. 
What that meant was that a lot of people were envious of merchants for how rich they were. Keynes would blame merchants for all sorts of problems. For example, many Jews were merchants in the Middle Ages, and that's a lot of the reasons why they were so hated. Even though merchants were some of the wealthiest people in Chinese history, they were one of the lo lowest classes because nobody trusted them. Envy has been a powerful factor in shaping society since humans have existed. Envy meant that a lot of the gifts, talents, and skills that people had were wasted just because they didn't want to arouse envy and face violence or curses. The Industrial Revolution probably could have occurred several times over, long before it did in Britain in the late 1700s. The steam engine was invented multiple times as early as ancient Rome, but never used. 11th century China had massive steel foundries, and inventions like gunpowder were suppressed. That was good for nobody. It wasn't good for the people who had to give up opportunities, but it also wasn't good for the envious people because they didn't have access to all the talents they could have. Christianity, from its beginning, was considered weird because it said that envy was actually a sin. It said that when a person was jealous about another person's success, then it wasn't the person who was, had success that was at fault, but the jealous person. Making envy a sin was one of the main reasons that incredible inventions like mechanized farming not only made the people that invented them rich, but also made foods far easier to come by and made it possible for incredible population growth in the last century all over the world, even as standards of living went, went way up. Envy is an ugly thing that tortures the envious person. You become consumed with anger and you tr slowly train yourself to hate it whenever someone is happy. And you're not really gonna be happy when people are sad either. You, you begin only to be happy when there's misery, but that happiness isn't the same as true happiness. You can feel the difference when you experience it. But it feels kind of like happiness, so a lot of people seek it constantly. So you're just going to be sad all the time. This is the kind of path that leads people to greater and greater evil because they warp their minds so that, they can't, so that they can't appreciate what's good. They see good things happen and are only angry that it's not happening to them. They see bad things happen and feel some kind of warped pleasure that their lives might not be so bad. You don't wanna live like that. Think about how much better Homer Simpson's life would have been if he never worried about how rich Flanders was or how much better your life would be if you never had to keep up with the Joneses. Paul says in Romans, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. I've heard it said that a true friend is someone who can tell you good news and they'll actually be happy about it. Think about how low that bar is. Someone who is happy that other people are happy. What a new idea. But then think about how hard it is for us to be really truly happy when your friend gives you good news. Isn't there some small voice in your head that's kind of angry that your friend is more successful than you? or that they received something great that you think you deserve? Instead of sharing in the joy that they feel, you turn and look at yourself and torture yourself for your own failings. It's hard to get that voice out of your head, and you may never totally do it. But envy is crouching at your door. You must master it. Last week, we talked about how Jesus was preaching that a new kingdom was coming to the earth, which was based on the forgiveness of sins. Everybody has sinned against God. They have warped God's creation and taken what's very good and infused it with pain and suffering and betrayal. God chose to try to pick up the pieces of that broken world through a family of people called the Israelites. 
but they also were totally broken and by sin and warped to destroy God's good creation just like all the other families. For a thousand years, Israel was no better than the other nations, and it seemed that humans were incapable of anything other than further and further destroying the world. But Jesus was preaching that God was bringing in a new kingdom called the kingdom of heaven, and it was coming to the earth through his ministry. And that kingdom was based on the forgiveness of sins. Every single human being needed to be forgiven because they all have sinned against God, harmed each other, and destroyed his creation. But on the cross, Jesus bore every single person's sin and suffering so that every single sin by every single person would be forgiven, so long as they gave their loyalty to King Jesus. And Jesus would rise from the dead, completely defeating even the worst and most unnatural effects of sin, so that sin would no longer have any power over us anymore. And he would infuse us Christians with the power of God's new creation in Christ's resurrection, so we would be able to resist sin, love God, and pick up the pieces of this broken world. And this wasn't just promised to God's chosen family of Israel, but to every single person in the whole world, so that Christians from one side of the globe to the other, even today, can worship the true God and experience his grace. Every sin was wiped away, and now we can live in a new kingdom with full access to God and nothing standing between us. It's a glorious and beautiful thing, a kingdom built entirely on the forgiveness of sins. Nobody could be a part of this kingdom without it, and it's built entirely on the hopeful suffering of God. But like we saw last week, that meant that some weird and new situations were going to come up. The whole world was about to change, so Jesus taught some stories, stories to his disciples so they could tell them how to live in this new world. Last week, we saw how God had forgiven each of us an incredible debt, and that meant that we would have, it would be absolutely absurd for us not to forgive each other. The sins that we commit against each other are tiny compared to the sins we commit against God. So that means it would be absurd for us to receive God's forgiveness in church and walk outside and deny anyone else their forgiveness. The kingdom of God is built entirely on forgiveness of sins. How can we not forgive one another? This parable talks about another one of these really weird and new situations that come up now that this whole new kingdom is, come, is here. Somebody has worked for Jesus their entire life and has poured their blood, sweat, and tears into loving God and loving the world that God created is going to end up in the exact same place as someone who came to a sudden realization on their deathbed and gave their loyalty to Jesus at the very last second and you had no time to do anything to serve God. Both of them will end their lives with their denarius. Both of them will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, now come and share your master's happiness. Both of them will join the church and the feast and the party of God's kingdom, even here on earth, as complete and total equals. And there cannot be any envy between them at that feast, because then the party will be super weird. You don't get mad at somebody for being late to the party because then the party gets weird. Envy is a part of the old world and the old kingdom. The new kingdom has no need for that. Anyway, this kingdom is built on the forgiveness of sins to begin with. You have no right to be angry at anyone else because they receive the same reward of God's presence and blessing even though they didn't work as hard. If it was, everybody would get less than nothing. No, the kingdom was always built on the good pleasure and will of God, not on our own works. The master can give whatever he wishes to whoever he wishes because none of us have earned anything, and there's no room for envy. 
the last will be first and the first will be last. But the fact that any of them are here at all is because God forgave their sins and brought them here. So the first has no right to envy the last, and the last has no right to envy the first. In fact, in the first century after Jesus rose from the dead, the church had to deal with one of these exact weird situations. The Jews had been serving God for thousands of years by the time that Jesus came to the earth. They had to follow all the regulations of the Torah, and many of them died, or died trying to keep it. They bore the full burden of the day in the scorching heat of the Torah so that one day they would see the kingdom of God. But the new kingdom was going to be for everybody all around the world, not just Jews, but Gentiles too. And that meant that a ton of people who had never heard of the law that God gave the Jews would be just as much a part of the new kingdom of God as a Jew that followed every letter of the law in every detail. You could see how those Jews would be envious, but that would only make the party weird. The Jews would have to swallow their envy and call Christian Gentiles in their church brother and sister. And every day we have to make the same decisions. Are we going to hold on to our envy and let it destroy us? Or are we going to be happy that God has blessed our friends and our neighbors? Can we be that friend that's actually genuinely happy when we hear good news from somebody else? It's a lot easier to do when you remember you're living in a kingdom built on nothing other than the forgiveness of sins. There's nothing you really truly deserve because everything you have is simply a blessing from God. And God can do whatever he wants with what is his. It's a lot easier when you can just be thankful to God that you can be a part of that kingdom at all, which is just an incredible gift. Let's pray. Great God, we are so often consumed with small-minded things like envy when your great and glorious kingdom is right here in front of us. We pray that you would give us a spirit of gratitude so we would recognize all the great things that you've given us, even as we don't deserve them. Clear away anything that might stand between us and our brothers and sisters so we could be one united kingdom that works for your glory and for the love of the world. Amen.